morning. Today is Sunday, the 29th of August, 2016. If one would cast a wicked demonic spell as part of a role-playing game, couldn't they be casting a real spell, conjuring up evil without them even being aware? Of course not. But in the late 1990s, some people thought otherwise. Today I tell the story of the panic over a game called Dungeons and Dragons on the 103rd episode of Sunday Morning Coffee with Jeff. Coffee with Jeff. Coffee, coffee with Jeff. Coffee with Jeff. Coffee, coffee with Jeff. Sunday, it's time for coffee, and I'm your host and storyteller, Jeff Kelly. I hope everybody out there is doing fantastic. I'm so glad you're with me today. Did you know it was 51 years ago today that the Beatles performed their last public concert at San Francisco's Candlestick Park? Now, yeah, I know they did the rooftop thing in 69, but this was their last paid live show, and uh, there's something you may not know. This show was not a sellout. In fact, only a little over half the tickets were sold. And as the legend goes, on the plane ride home, George Harrison was heard to exclaim, That's it then, I'm not a Beatle anymore. And in my opinion, this was the first step in the disintegration of the band, but that's a story for another day. And I really mean that. I've been working on a Beatles story for Coffee with Jeff for some time, and I just can't seem to get around to finishing it. So today's story is about the weird panic over the game Dungeons & Dragons that happened in the the 1980s. It was another wonderful suggestion by John Matthews, and thank you so much, John. And thanks to everyone out there who sends story ideas. I've got quite a few of them over the last couple weeks. But the thing that surprised me about this story was just how much of this nonsense is still going on today. I did a quick Google search and I saw questions like, Dungeons and Dragons, does the game promote evil or creativity? And should a Christian play Dungeons and Dragons? Anyway, so... Oh wait, let's do some Bigfoot news. Well, September 3rd is the Bigfoot Ice Cream Social, and it'll be held at the Willow Creek China Flat Museum Grounds, which is in the heart of the so-called Bigfoot country. This museum is one of the biggest, if not the biggest, Bigfoot museums in the world. The event will include food and craft booths, oyster feeds, deep pit barbecues, logging contests, a petting zoo, a kid's bike race, a lawnmower race, a disc golf tournament, and a big ice cream social with homemade pies, cakes, and cobblers at the town museum, which houses the world's largest collection of Bigfoot artifacts. And kids, watch for the free ice cream cone coupons to be given out along the Bigfoot Days parade route. Anyway... Now we have the story of the controversy of the popular role-playing game, Dungeons & Dragons. This podcast is part of the PsyCon Network. You can support this podcast and others like it by becoming a subscriber at patreon.com forward slash PsyCon. That's C-S-I-C-O-N. 
A link can be found on the Coffee with Jeff website. Just a dollar or two is all it takes to keep these podcasts going. Thank you for your support. Good evening. Tonight we begin with a story about make-believe adventure and real-life violence. And what some critics fear is a connection between the two in a game called Dungeons and Dragons. Millions of children and teenagers now play Dungeons and Dragons. They are drawn to the adventure, fantasy, and suspense the game creates through mythical characters and complex situations. But increasingly, parents and psychiatrists are warning that the game is taking some children too far into the realm of dark and violent fantasy. They wonder whether for some children, Dungeons and Dragons becomes more than just a game. Okay, I'll admit it. I've played Dungeons and Dragons once or twice. That was back in the mid or late 80s. I played a couple of times and, well, I've not played it since. But can you blame me? Dungeons and Dragons promotes such evil practices as devil worship, witchcraft, suicide, and murder. Well, actually, no, not really. Dungeons and Dragons is just a fantasy role-playing game that millions have enjoyed since it was created by Gary Gangax and David Arneson. Yet in the early 1980s, a bizarre hysteria began with many accusing the game of inciting teen boys to commit murder and suicide. The game Dungeons & Dragons really began with the popularity of simulated war games that used dice to randomize the outcome of battles. These games, which use little toy soldiers and maps to recreate historic battles from all periods of history, were played in clubs all over the world. One such club was in Lake Geneva, Wisconsin, and was called the International Federation of War Gamers, or the IFW, which was founded by Gary Gygax, Bill Spears, and Scott Duncan. Soon afterwards, Robert Kuntz and Gangax founded a new chapter of the IFW called the Castle and Crusaders Society. For this, they took the idea of war games into a whole new direction, No longer would the games be limited to recreating actual historical battles, and rather than the players controlling the generals, the players would take on the characters of the men and women on the battlefield, the individual soldiers. But the biggest change was adding all the fantasy, magic, and myths that they loved from the literature that they had read into the gameplay. David Arneson eventually joined the group, and it was Dave and Gary who developed the gameplay over the next few years. It was a task of trial and error, letting friends and family play their game and modifying the rules as they went along. Gygax spent hours at his typewriter typing out all the rules. In 1973, the game was ready for publication, and Dave, with Don Kays and Brian Blum, formed the publishing company Tactical Studies Rules, which is known as TSR, and they published the game we all know as Dungeons & Dragons. The original game was only a very basic version of the game played today. It wasn't until they released Advanced Dungeons & Dragons in 1977 that the game really took off. D&D, as it's known, is a game in which players sit around a table and all follow the directions of the Dungeon Master who is referred to as the DM. He or she creates the world that the players will explore. 
The DM serves as the game's referee and storyteller while maintaining the setting in which the adventure occurs and playing the role of the inhabitants of that world. The DM is the game's organizer and is in charge of creating the details and challenges of the given adventure while maintaining a realistic continuity of events. He basically controls all aspects of the game except for the characters that are being played by the other players. He tells the players what they are seeing, what they are hearing, and who they are fighting. The other players all choose characters such as barbarians, clerics, druids, fighters, wizards, sorcerers, and warlocks. The players don't compete with each other, but work together to make it through a fantasy landscape, fighting monsters and gathering treasure. Along the way, they gain experience and become more powerful. It's not just a game, but a unique story created by the DM. And depending on the style of game that he or she creates, it could be combat-oriented, adventure-oriented, or even just strategic. And the game could last for hours, days, or even weeks. Within a year after its release, the game became the biggest thing in the wargaming community. Not long after, the popularity of the game began to creep into the college world. College kids all over began forming clubs to enter the fantasy world of Dungeons & Dragons. Still though, the game was unknown to most of the mainstream. What really propelled the game from an activity played by small groups of people to a name that would become familiar to everybody, whether they played it or not, was the unfortunate circumstances of a 16-year-old college student named James Dallas Egbert III. It was what happened to Dallas that began the belief in many that this fantasy role-playing game was actually a promotion of the practices of Satanism, witchcraft, suicide, pornography, and murder. James Egbert, who was known as Dallas, was born on October 29, 1962, and was a student at Michigan State University when he disappeared on August 15, 1979. His parents hired a private investigator named William Deere to find their son, and after examining his dorm room, discovered all James' D&D material, including strange books with what appeared to be drawings of monsters and demons. So, allegedly to Deere, it was clear Dallas was fascinated with this new game, and this new game was obviously connected with satanic worship, and therefore, it was the game that was responsible for his disappearance. Egbert was a very bright, intelligent kid who had an IQ of 145 and was studying to be a computer scientist. He entered the college world when he was only 16 years old. His disappearance would forever be known as the Steam Tunnel Incident. Tim Cast had worked for TSR in the early days. He had met Dallas and knew right away that he showed flashes of brilliance, but he also said that James had a very troubled childhood. He was the youngest child who was often pushed aside by his parents. He tells the story of the time where James came home for Thanksgiving only to find his parents were off in Europe without his knowledge and he had to break in through the basement to get into the house. Tim described Detective William Deere as, and I quote, the biggest sack of cow crap that ever came out of Texas. Tim said that Deere was convinced that Dallas was wandering lost and probably dead in the steam tunnels under the university. Because somebody said once 
in somebody's hearing that some people apparently went down there and explored through them. Didn't say they were players or anything like that, just some people. So he leaped to, oh shit, they're playing D&D in the steam tunnels, and he's lost and dying, poor lad. The police were so convinced that this is what happened to Dallas that they carefully took down the bulletin board from his dorm room that had many pushpins or thumbtacks in it, and they shipped it to TSR in Lake Geneva, Wisconsin to see if they could interpret the meanings of these pins. Tim and Gary Gigant set to work using the map of the campus to see if they could find any clues and connection to what was on the bulletin board and his disappearance. They found nothing. Detective William Deere thought that what was on the bulletin board was a representation of the steam tunnels under the university. A few weeks after his disappearance, Dallas called William Deere, who of course had made it very public that he was on the case. He told Deere that he was in Morgan City, Louisiana, working as an oiled field laborer. So what really happened to James Dallas Egbert III? Allegedly, James was a troubled teenager who was dealing with depression, drugs, and struggling with his sexuality. Many reports say that he was a homosexual and was having trouble dealing with it. According to Terry Crims of the Associated Press, who wrote an article called It Was a Tragic End for a Teenage Genius, a friend of Dallas, who was only referred to as David, said that he ran away because he was feeling grade pressure and because his roommate had moved out after hearing Egbert was a homosexual. He told me he discovered he didn't like living alone, David said. He was an occasional recreational user of drugs. When he was alone under the influence of one or the other, which he didn't do very often except on very rare circumstances, he was rather self-destructive. There were rumors that the detective wanted to turn Dallas's story into a movie. Of that, David said, There really isn't anything movie-worthy about it. It's not sensational. It doesn't involve Dungeons and Dragons or anything weird like that. It was just a different sort of life, but it was nothing worth writing about. The story, as far as I can make out, was that Dallas wrote a suicide note before he left, which began, To whom it may concern, should my body be found, I wish to be cremated. And originally, this was thought to be part of his D&D material. He went into the steam tunnels where he attempted to kill himself. This failed, so after waking the next day, he went to a friend's house where he hid out. Over the next couple of weeks, he spent time at a few other friends' homes in East Lansing, Michigan, before taking a bus to New Orleans. He attempted a second suicide, but again failed, so then he moved to Morgan City, Louisiana, where he took a job as an oil field laborer. After four days, he called William Deere. He went to Dallas, where Dallas told him the complete story. But this story was never made public because Dallas asked Deere to conceal the truth. Unfortunately, after Dallas was back at home, things didn't go well and depression started to creep in once again. And, and on August 16, 1980, James Dallas Egbert III died of a self-inflicted gunshot wound.
William Deere's version of the events was finally published in a book called The Dungeon Master, The Disappearance of James Dallas Egbert III, which was published in 1984. But back in 1980, the hysteria over the game Dungeons & Dragons was already starting to build. In 1981, a novel by Rhonda Jaffe called Mazes and Monsters was released. And it was allegedly based on the myth of Egbert and Dungeons and & Dragons. It was about a college student who played a game called Mazes and Monsters and gets so caught up in the game that he loses his sense of reality. The book was made into a CBS television movie of the same name that starred a young Tom Hanks. Another book, Hobgoblin by John Crone, had a similar theme. The panic was starting to build. And this was only the start of the problem. On June 9, 1982, Irving Pulling, a high school student, shot himself in the chest. His mother, Patricia Pulling, claimed that he did this after a curse was put on him during a D&D game he had played earlier. Now, as far as I can tell, Patricia actually believed that it was the curse that caused him to commit suicide. After a failed attempt at suing the principal at the school where the game had been played and TSR Inc., she formed a group called BAD, B-A-D-D, which stood for Bothered About Dungeons and Dragons. She said of the game that it is a, a fantasy role-playing game which uses demonology, witchcraft, voodoo, murder, rape, blasphemy, suicide, assassination, insanity, sexual perversion, homosexuality, prostitution, satanic-type rituals, gaming, barbarism, cannibalism, sadism, Desecration, Demon Summering, Necromantics, Deviation, and Other Teachings. Wow, I think she pretty much covered everything there. Someone once said that they threw their copy of D&D into the fire and it screamed, Gary Gygax once exclaimed. It's a game. The magic spells are as real as the gold. Try retiring on that stuff. A man named William Shoboblian claimed that he used to be a Wiccan priest as well as a Satanic priest before finding Jesus Christ, and that set him free. In 1989, he wrote an article called Straight Talk on Dungeons and Dragons. In it, you'll find statements such as, Dungeons and Dragons is a tragic and tangled subject. It is essentially a feeding program for occultism and witchcraft. And also, he says, Now the question becomes, if a person innocently works an authentic ritual that conjures up a demon or curses someone, thinking that they are only playing a game, might not that ritual still have efficiency? I think we know the answer to that question. If you play it shooting your friend in the head with what you think is an unloaded pistol and don't know a shell is in the chamber... Is your friend any less dead because you were playing? And it goes on and on with this kind of nonsense. I'll have a link to this article in the show notes for this episode. By the way, that article was published at the website Chick Publications, which is created by Jack T. Chick. His story might be a, another Coffee with Jeff episode in the future. And then there was the case of Leith von Stein. In 1988... Chris Pritchard 
allegedly masterminded the murder of a stepfather, Lise von Stein, for his $2 million fortune. Both von Stein and his wife Bonnie were bludgeoned and stabbed by masked assailants in their bedroom, leaving the husband mortally wounded and his wife injured. And even though there was a lot of hostility between Chris and his stepfather and that Chris had a history of alcohol and drug use and had befriended some questionable people, the police and media focused on his Dungeons and Dragons game group. And throughout the early 80s, there were many stories, some of them very sad about teen suicides and their connection with Dungeons and Dragons. And this might have all come to a head when in 1985... The CBS show 60 Minutes did a segment on the controversy. They brought up the fact that there were at least 12 deaths connected with the players of D&D. Gary Gygax responded that, I have yet to see one bit of valid clinical evidence to show that this has been anything more than coincidental with a disturbed child. When asked that if there were 12 murders or suicides that were all connected to one factor, wouldn't you question it? And Gary responded, I would certainly do it in a scientific manner, and this is unscientific as you can get. It's nothing but a witch hunt. I've watched the 60 Minutes segment, and it seems to me that they took the view that, yes, there was a connection to these tragedies in D&D. And then when you show the parents crying, it's hard not to feel sympathy towards them. Gary Gygax said about the show... In many ways, I still resent the wretched yellow journalism that was clearly evident in the media's treatment of the game, 60 Minutes in particular. I've never watched that show after Ed Bradley's interview with me because they rearranged my answers. When I sent copies of letters from mothers of two children who had committed suicide who said the game had nothing to do with it, they refused to do a retraction or even mention it on the air. What bothered me was that I was getting death threats, telephone calls, and letters. I was a little nervous. I had a bodyguard for a while. Of course, all this controversy didn't stop CBS from creating a Saturday morning cartoon in 1983 that was based on the game called Dungeons & Dragons. And then in 2000, there was a Dungeons & Dragons film that was followed up with a made-for-TV sequel in 2005. And with the millions and millions of young adults who have played and continue to play Dungeons & Dragons ever since it was created, I think we can now assume that it's, well, safe to play. Of course, not everybody agrees with me. In 2013, Pat Robertson said on the 700 Club that Dungeons & Dragons literally destroyed people's lives. And he warned viewers that Dungeons & Dragons is a demonic game. Where are we? Look out! Fear not, ranger. Barbarian, magician, thief. Cavalier and acrobat. Avenger, the force of evil. I am Dungeon Master, your guide in the realm of Dungeons and Dragons. Has anybody got a match? 
Thanks. Now I can light an old goal and listen to the sad sack. Of course, the ironic part of this whole incident, of course, is that all the controversy and efforts to ban the game and warn kids about its effects, those things done by Patricia Pulling and her group Bad, was the reason why the game became so incredibly successful. It's a strange fact of life that when parents say not to do something, that it's dangerous and bad for you, it makes it appealing for a large percentage of teenagers. That's just the way things work. I'm sure that Gary Gygax and the rest of the makers of Dungeons & Dragons didn't want success to, to come this way, yet it did. It goes along with the old saying that there is no such thing as bad publicity. When a parent goes on 60 Minutes and tells kids not to play the game, that the game is in league with the devil, what's the result? In a lot of cases, the opposite effect of what they were hoping happens. But for a parent who's lost a child, what is the alternative to blaming a game for their child's death? To admit your child had problems and that you might be to blame? Maybe you did a poor job as a parent. Maybe you just didn't recognize the signs that your child had a problem. Who knows? And I'm not saying that these parents necessarily did anything wrong with raising their kids, but maybe if you failed to notice that your son or daughter had issues leading them to something like this, well, it may just be hard to deal with, right? And even if you did nothing wrong, it would be hard not to blame yourself in some way. Somewhere deep inside, you still have to feel a bit guilty over what could I have done differently or what did I do wrong, questioning yourself as a parent. And maybe one way to relieve that guilt is to find something else to blame. Something like a game or rock and roll music. I don't know. I don't know these people. I can't say what brought on these tragic events. Suicide is a difficult thing for me to understand, but I'm fairly certain that something so drastic and horrible as this was brought on by something more than a game. Did you know that a song written in 1932 called Gloomy Sunday was said to be responsible for over 19 suicides? It seems that, well, a lot of people are always looking for the easy answers, right? The group Bad, bothered by Dungeons and Dragons, pretty much went away when Patricia Pulling passed away in 1997. Gary Gygax was eventually pushed out of his own company, and he passed away on March 4, 2008, still living in Lake Geneva, Wisconsin. The detective William Deere, as far as I know, is still alive, and he still owns the firm William C. Deere & Associates. After the steam tunnel incident, he went on in 1995 to participate in the investigation on Alien Autopsy, the Fox television program about a supposed autopsy of an extraterrestrial being. He was also involved in the BBC documentary OJ, The Untold Story. So, how is everybody? So, how is everybody's day? I'll be back next week with a story that has no mention of suicide. We at PsyCon could use your help in keeping our podcast going. 
you should think about becoming a sponsor at our Patreon page because it's sponsors that keep this network afloat. And to be a sponsor, you can go over to psycon.fm, that's C-S-I-C-O-N.fm for more information. And a sincere thank you to everybody out there who already supports the show. And speaking of Psycon, why not go over to our website and check out a few of our other shows? You'll find an amazing amount of geek culture. In the latest episode of Who's Who, the boys talk about one of my favorite Doctor Who episodes, City of Death. And besides Doctor Who talk, we also learned that it takes more than a month to become a YouTube millionaire. Check out this show and others at Psycon.fm. You know, you can email me at coffeewithjeff at gmail.com for any reason. If you want to complain or just say hi, feel free to send me an email. You can also follow me on Twitter. My name on Twitter is Coffee with Jeff, all one word, and I have a Coffee with Jeff Facebook page. Your story ideas are always welcome and usually needed. If you want to support the show but you don't have the money, then just go over to iTunes and leave a review. Those reviews really help. And remember, all the links to the sources that I use to write today's story can be found at Psycon's Coffee with Jeff page. I'd like to thank Brecky Tomlinson for having this podcast on the Psycon Network, John Matthews for suggesting today's topic, a wife of 32 years for being my wife of 32 years, David Metzger for designing the Coffee with Jeff logo, Kelly Rickard for writing and performing the Coffee with Jeff theme, and to all of you who listen to the show every week, thanks so much. And I want to throw a special shout out to all those that repost the show on Facebook and Twitter. You folks have a special place in my heart. Thanks to everybody. I'll be back next week with possibly a more uplifting story. Coffee with Jeff. Coffee, coffee with Jeff. Coffee with Jeff. Coffee, coffee with Jeff. I once knew a man who used to drink his coffee black. He once tried it with some cream Didn't like it, now he never looks back Coffee with Jeff Coffee, coffee with Jeff Coffee with Jeff Coffee, coffee with Jeff Met a girl from Beantown Jeff was always hanging Dawn of Jeff's new day Coffee with Jeff Coffee, coffee with Jeff Coffee with Jeff Coffee, coffee with Jeff Years go by and life's filled with change Sometimes your plans get rearranged He's seen it all and he's weathered it too so Jeff wants to have some coffee with you. Coffee with Jeff. Coffee on coffee with Jeff. Coffee with Jeff. Coffee coffee with Jeff.
Cause they 